Um, so here's a special morning. There are, every morning is special at the plant, but it's actually two, two Sundays a year that we have um, a large part of our community that is out serving. It's usually the October 10th, that second weekend in October, and the third weekend of May, where we have a lot of people that are out in the community serving. And today, um, we actually took some chairs away. That's why some of you feel so close, because we have a good majority of people. We have basically the vast majority of the youth group and other people that are serving on walks, um, supporting their friends that uh, have either struggled with cancer or have some kind of disease uh, or something. And we, we get phone calls saying, hey, I'm not coming to church because I'm going to support my friends, fill in the blank. Are you okay with that? I'm like, please, go. Because we have a saying here, we gather to what? Okay, we gather to what? Okay, the point of the church is not Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a point of equipping the saints. We are all saints. Anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus is a saint. It's not something that happens when you pass away and you've done several things that you reach sainthood. But when you read the epistles and you read the Apostle Paul, Anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ is recognized in the eyes of God as His child and His saint. We are saints who sin. Right? Anyone sin today? Already. Anyone else? Liars. You're all sinning right now. But that's who we are. And when we started this church, this, the, this small little seedling that we called the plant, was Omar, myself, Sue, Carrie, and our team of people were like, how do we really reverse what people think church is? Meaning, come to us. Come and be a part of us. But how do we become a church that is saying, we're going to you. We're going to step into your lives. We're going to step into your circumstances. We're going to step into your sicknesses. We're going to step into your crisis. We are going to be people who are lovingly obnoxious because we care so much. And I really thought there, there came a point that it was about, it was February and we, were, we really started in September where some people on our initial team were just like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And all of a sudden, we literally went from like 30 people that were die hard, let's make this happen to like 16 people that were like, we're out. We wanted this, we wanted this, we wanted a better this, we wanted a better that. I don't want to talk to my neighbors. And what we actually did, this is very sad, we gave everyone on our team a Starbucks card for $75. And we said, and many of you guys have heard the story, we said, our missions fund is that we learn to be missionaries. And so we're going to give you a Starbucks card for $75 and all we want you to do is start taking out your neighbors and people that you know, or someone in crisis, and just buy them whatever you want, and just get a tea or coffee. Otherwise, like, can I get a frappuccino, you know, venti with extra whipped cream? Um, but we, but take them out and begin to know your neighbors. Begin to love the people that God has put in your life. And I'll never forget when these families, and, and these were people that, uh, one guy was literally at the time one of my closest friends. And I remember they hand me back the Starbucks card and I had no idea how much was on it. But I'm like, you know what? If he's not going to use it, I'm going to use it. And when I swiped it, 75 bucks was still on it. 
And I'm thinking, we have to be the body of Christ that goes rather expecting for them to just come to a service. And I'm so proud of today that when people call me and almost like apologize that they're not here because they're out serving. I just remember that February night. I don't mean to get emotional. Um, I remember laying in bed and I was literally shaking that like, God, I don't think, I don't know if I ever want to be part of a church. And I remember I was going to throw up. I hate to give that expression, but I was laying there and she was like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know if this is real. I don't know if people really, really want to know who Jesus is. I am terrified. And this is what I said. I am terrified if this church fails, what's going to happen to my faith? And I remember laying there and I said, you know what? If it fails, I hope my faith only increases. And so this morning, as we had people who are out serving, I mean, look around. You know, when we did this a year ago, it was smaller. When we did it two years ago, it was smaller. When we did it four years ago, it was like right here. And those mornings, I always felt like I had to justify what was going on. But this morning, I celebrate what God is doing. Amen? Amen. That's what God has called us to. To know Him and what? To, to gather to what? To scatter. Scatter. And so what we're going to do this morning is, I'm going to do, I want to equip you. Every, see, as a minister, and I've got to kind of lay this out so you all understand. As a minister, you play so many different roles. You play teacher, walking people through the Holy Scriptures. Let's take a book of the Bible and let's walk them through. We are supposed to be the apostles who realize, okay, what's next? What, what, what is God calling us to next? We're supposed to be evangelists, talking to those, being able to communicate in a clear way of, of helping people understand their, their faith. We're supposed to be prophets when something's going on and something's wrong in someone's life and they come to us that we are bold enough to just stop them and just say, time out. What are you doing? We're supposed to be shepherds that love the flock. And so this morning, what we have always said is that I am not the only minister. We are the body of Christ. And each one of us has one of those gifts. Rob does not have all five. And so this morning is going to be very much a teaching and training morning that I want to talk to you about one of the most important avenues of how we engage in our faith and how our faith becomes real and tangible. Right? How do we engage in our faith and how do we make our faith real and tangible? Because everyone in this room, whether it be a family member, a friend, a relative, a neighbor, everyone is in this room because of someone. True? Raise your hand. Think of that person real quick. Dave Spallone. I'm in this room because of Dave Spallone. I'm in this room because my college roommates loved me even in my crazy, wild person. Everyone in this room is in this room because of someone. Whether you are visiting 
or whether you call the plant your home church. And God wants to use you to be the reflection of His love, of His truth, and His compassion. Amen? And so, if you are here and you are visiting, and you're like, hey, I'm not like this Christian person, all I want you to do is I want you to sit here this morning and to the person who brought you, you are their form of accountability. And if you are here and you are a follower of Christ, today may be the first day that you have a Kairos moment that God has mysteriously put individuals in your life for more than for your own good purpose. Okay? Let me pray. We're going to jump right into it. Father God, this morning, I ask You, I ask You in the name of Jesus, that Holy Spirit, that You would be with us. God, my, this morning is not going to be a morning of trying to give deep insight, but into simple truths that, that, we, that pass by us regularly. And so this morning, God, I ask You that Holy Spirit, as we sense that and feel that presence of the air conditioning breathing on us, that, that You would breathe Your Spirit upon us. And that God, that this morning, that You would do something in our hearts. That You would stir our hearts to see people through a new lens, with a new heart. And that we would be able to take on Your heartbeat as we look across our street, as we step into Starbucks, as we go to work. And I pray this. God, give me words of humility. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. If you do not have a Bible, it is on page Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is found on page 661. 661. Okay? Am I going to fall if I stand on here? Okay, I'm good. 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 What's that? I might. I might. All right. Acts chapter 10. I'm going to give you one moment. If you don't want to open your Bibles, it's on the screen. Let me read. So Peter went down and said, I am the man you are looking for. This is verse 21. Verse 21, Acts chapter 10. So Peter went down and said, I am the man you are looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Verse 24. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and some friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside, where many others were assembled. Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile's home like this, or to associate with you. 
But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I sent for, as soon as I was sent for. Now, tell me why you sent for me. And here's what Cornelius said. Four days ago, I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here, waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Let me walk through this passage real quickly so we can get to the equipping part. Peter, as we know, the early church was growing. Peter was the head. Peter the rock. He was the point person of of the whole early church. He was the one that Jesus has said, your name is Simon, and now you are called Peter the rock. You are going to be the one that starts this movement, and all of a sudden, as the movement grows, it's going to continue to grow in such a way that it's going to manifest the earth. And so Peter had gone through a lot. Last week we had, re- uh, had heard how Peter was being persecuted. He was in jail, that he was basically on death row. He was going to stand before, before the powers that be. And at the powers that be, that he was going to basically be put on trial. And that trial was not to discipline him or put him in jail. The trial was actually to put him to death, to rid him. Here's the sad part. Who do you think handed Peter over to the Roman officers? The Jewish people. Even though Peter was still Jewish, they didn't like his teaching that the Messiah had come. And all of a sudden, Peter miraculously was led out of prison. Remember, an angel woke him up. He thought it was a dream, a trance. And and he left and he went to the house of of Mary, the the mother of John, Mark. And and something happened. And all of a sudden, the church was in a place of persecution. They said, you know what? Let's go stronger. Let's go harder. Let's keep doing everything that Jesus commanded us to do. And so Jesus was praying. And as Jesus was praying, He had told, as Peter was praying, the Holy Spirit had told him, Stop looking at people through the wrong wrong lens. Stop judging people. Stop accusing people. Stop telling people that they're different than you. That they're worse than you. And Peter already knew this because he watched Jesus, but, but still he had that judgmental spirit. Any of us have that at times? Judgmental spirit? We look at someone and, and all of a sudden we're like, yeah, they must have something wrong with them. Yeah, they must have, yeah, they're different. Yeah, this is there. And, and it's like, and it, and it happened last night when I was talking to someone. I was talking to someone last night, and they're like, Yeah, I think this person is, is uh, fill in the blank. I said, Man, that's really judging a book by a cover. You have no idea that person's story. Let me tell you the real person who that is. That's what Peter was doing. He was looking at the, the, the Gentiles, and he was judging them. And, and he would get involved because he had to, but he never fully engaged and people that were different than him, except for when he was with Jesus. And so as he was praying, the Holy Spirit just convicted him like, you need to stop being so judgmental. 
And as he was praying, the Holy Spirit was preparing him for this encounter with a Roman officer. Think about that. Who was going to put him on trial? A Roman officer. A Gentile. Someone completely different than him. And at the same time, this man Cornelius, God was nudging him. You know how I use that word a lot? He nudges us. The Holy Spirit is nudging us. We'll be driving and all of a sudden it'll be like, hey, go to the Starbucks. Hey, call this individual. Hey, pray for this person. And there's these little nudges that we have in our soul that, that we really believe, okay, is it God or gas? It's usually God. And all of a sudden, there's these nudges going on that you need to make this phone call. And Cornelius was a wealthy man, a successful man, a high-powered officer. And in the midst of this, he was not a follower of Jesus, but he was sensitive to God. He grew up in a culture where there were many gods. Many gods. Pluralism. Paganism. A God of this, a God of that. Whatever you need that day. Whatever you want that day. Whatever you want to make God to be or become. That's what Cornelius had done. But in his heart, like so many people, his heart was genuine. And one day when he was praying, one day when he was praying, God answered him. And He said, send your men to go find Peter. Simon Peter. He's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Real quickly, we truly don't believe that God still speaks today, do we? We truly don't believe that the Holy Spirit is is so intimate and so personal that He will not give you complete directions to what is next. And I will say that that is a lie from hell. And if you go to a church that does not believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in many different forms, whether it be that, that, small, that small still voice, whether it be that nudge, whether it be through a friend, whether it be through a circumstance, but in all things, God still speaks. Amen? Seriously, amen? And so in this, Cornelius, who was the opposite of Peter, God says, go find Peter. Because I want to do something in your life. And on the flip side, not telling Cornelius, I want to do something in Peter's life. Do you know in every circumstance in life, God is not just working for one individual. God is always speaking to multiple people. When He's doing something in my life, it's because He wants to attach it to your life. When He's doing something in your life, He wants me to be attached to it as well so that together as a community, as a body, we see the power of God displayed in our lives. And so Cornelius' servants go find Peter and they bring him back. And the moment Cornelius is so overwhelmed because think about it. Think about what a faith-filled risk that was for Cornelius to send his servants. He could have looked like a fool. He could have looked like an idiot. He could have looked like he was losing his mind. He could have looked like he was going through a midlife crisis. He could have been looking like all these different things. But imagine the moment when Peter walked through the doors. Imagine that. Imagine the one thing that you were praying for. God, I just need to know that you're true. I'm ready to throw in a towel. I'm ready to give up. And in that moment, in, 20, in, a, in less than a 
period, our period, God specifically and deliberately answers the very way that he spoke into your soul. And he does. And he falls on the ground and he starts worshiping Peter like an angel. Almost like, like Peter is God because really back in the Roman days, this is what they did. Caesar was godlike. Caesar actually thought that he was a god. These people in high-ranking powers, the reason that they wanted to go higher and higher and higher and higher and higher was that they would become deity. little history lesson. And so as much human effort as they had to climb that social ladder, it was for to become godlike. I mean, we know that we know the tombs in, in, in Egypt, the, all the different tombs, they're basically images to a God. And Peter says, get up. And he shares the gospel good news message with Cornelius. And you know what Cornelius does? He invites his whole family into his house. And they all hear the message. They all hear his encounter. And they all have so much faith in Cornelius that if Cornelius believes this to be true, then, then it must be true. I mean, think about how this man had prospered. He, he started off just being a regular soldier and then now he's a high power official. He's got, he's got wealth. He's got prosperity. He's got everything that makes it seem like God is blessing him. Like, why would, why would we not believe Cornelius? Everyone believes. And everyone in that household is baptized. And why is baptism significant? Because baptism is a public signifier signpost that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And everyone in that house, young and old, was baptized. And so often, we look at a story, a passage, a narrative. I don't want to stand up here. I don't want to fall down. <laughs> So often we look at a passage like this and it's all about that one conversion, right? Cornelius became a Christian. Woohoo! God spoke to Cornelius. Woohoo! I hope that's what God does for me. I hope God speaks to me in that way. But when I look at this passage, there's so much more to this. Yes, God supernaturally steps into our lives. I believe that with my whole heart. I believe that. I can look around this room and see how God has stepped into so many of your lives. I believe that Cornelius was so overwhelmed like so many of us that the moment that we believed and heard that truth, it was a no-brainer. Come to faith. And I believe like Cornelius that maybe his was in that moment. Maybe his was like, I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to go anywhere else. This is what I'm going to do. I want to be baptized now. That like Cornelius, that there's been a part, a time in our lives that we said, you know what? It's more than just having Jesus in my heart. It's about standing before people and, and professing that I'm his. And so I want to be baptized but I think there's a lesson in here for Peter that's for us today that in many ways is just as loud as what happened to Cornelius. You see, Cornelius 
was a person of peace. I put the definition up here. Do you have that up, Patrick? Do you have that? A person of peace are individuals who are interested in who we are as people. They are those individuals who are drawn to us and we also are drawn to them. There are individuals in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in your places at work, in your schools, at Crestwood Lake, wherever you stay and hang out and spend a lot of time, Mawa Bar and Grill, wherever it may be, that people are naturally drawn to you because of who you are. And they see something in you that is beautiful that you oftentimes don't even see in yourself. And these are people that, that aren't followers of Jesus. They're not quote-unquote Christians. They, they don't have faith, but, but they're starving and they're hungry. And, and for some reason, they just kind of uh, attach themselves to you. You ever have something like that in your life? That for some reason, they just kind of come around a little bit more. They're, they're a little bit more present than, than maybe at times you want. But there are those individuals who are interested in you and are drawn to you and who desire to be in a relationship with you for a bigger purpose than you can ever dream or imagine. And I truly believe in my soul that all along the journey of life is that God is putting individuals in our lives for us to not only speak into, but for them to speak into our lives as well. Now let me walk through this. Let me walk through what happened with Peter and Cornelius. First, what took place? Cornelius welcomed Peter into his life. Right? Did Peter force himself into Cornelius' life? No. Cornelius basically dragged Peter into his life, into his family, into his home. And it wasn't just a, hey, let's say a magic prayer, i got to go to the next person. I bet you that they had a relationship that continued on and on and on and on. Next, listened to the hope they possessed. Their gospel story. Have you ever sat down with someone and just said, hey, tell me your story. Like, really tell me about your faith journey. Like, do you really believe this stuff? Do you honestly believe that, that this is true? Like, I understand that like Jesus is kind of like the Son of God, but like that's kind of like so 50 years ago. But do you really believe today that God has a Son? And people don't want to hear the answers. Listen to me. They do not want to hear the answers. They want to hear, as Revelations talk about, they want to hear the blood of the Lamb through the power of your testimony. That's what they want to hear. How has Jesus changed your life? How does your life look different? How is your life more peaceful? How is your life more filled with, with some form of direction or hope? And these people are the individuals who want to listen to you. We know those people. Next, 
They're responsive. It doesn't mean that they on the spot fall on their knees and pull a Cornelius and say, hey, quick, take me to the hot tub so you can baptize me. We actually did that one time at the plant. Remember that? That was awesome. Baptizing someone in a hot tub, that's pretty cool. That was the first for me. But they're responsive. They're responsive in some manner. That either that relationship continues or it goes deeper. But they also serve alongside you. And this has been, this has been if, if I look at all these welcome, listen, re- responded. I could, I could look back at college and tell you so many different stories of when I played college ball, how our apartment was basically the place that we fed 300-pound linemen regularly. And uh, it was awesome. It just cost me a lot of money. Um, but the serving part is that they're gatekeepers to see the gospel penetrate their communities. This is what I've learned more over the last seven years than anything else. It's almost like today that there's so many individuals that we have talked about that are out serving somewhere. Some of them are serving with other Christians. Some of them are serving with non-Christians. We've all been there. But these people have a deeper appreciation for others. And if they don't, when they become Christians, they realize that, wow, I've been so self-centered. Can you come talk with someone with me? I'm having a party. I'm just going to have like a bash. I just want you to be there. I'm not going to tell anyone you're a Christian. Just go love on my friends. But these individuals, like a Cornelius, was a gatekeeper for other people to hear the gospel truth. Just so you know that if you don't, one of the, the prerequisites for being prerequisites for being on staff is that you have to be in some form of community service program, whether it be ro- Rotary or Chamber of Commerce. Because what I've learned over the years is that there are so many people that love to serve, but they're so jaded by the church that they don't realize what they're trying to do is fill a void and, and helping others that really is pointing to being the hands of Jesus Christ. I'm in Rotary, and I actually stood up one time when they asked me to give a little, uh, little bio of myself. I said, I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm here because I believe that, that I'm supposed to be the voice of Jesus because you guys are the hands of Jesus and do it so well. And God has put individuals in our lives that welcome us, that listen to us, that are responsive in some manner, in some manner. And they want to see other people's lives be transformed. There's a progression though. You see that with Peter and Cornelius. And if you've heard me teach on this before, you, you could literally watch how this really unfolds in different relationships. I'm going to put some people on the spot and I can apologize afterwards. Joe Chinesi, Diane Harrison, Janet Diaz, Stacy McAvoy. These were all persons of peace 
that somehow got connected with individuals in this room that literally welcomed, listened, responded, and served alongside. And many of them had no idea what they were looking for, but in their looking, they found the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the kicker. This is, this is just something that came to me on Friday was, when Cornelius fell before Peter, what did Peter tell him to do? He said, stand up. Don't worship me. We are not perfect. And I don't think anyone wants to meet a perfect person. Amen? They're just annoying. You just want to like punch them in the mouth. You just want to walk away. No one wants to meet that perfect person. And I really believe in this moment that like, it can kind of be like this holy minute, like, stand up, I am not an angel. But I bet you when Cornelius fell at his feet, the Holy Spirit just spoke into Peter's life and said, you see what I wanted to teach you? You see what I wanted to do? You, want, you see that I wanted to show you that more, more people are hungry for God? You see the thing that, that's in your life that's broken and needs to be redeemed and fixed and gospeled? You see this? You see that, that I am for everyone and not some chosen group. Do you see that it's not just about these people, but it's about all people? First Peter, listen to, what, listen to what Peter wrote. Peter wrote this in First Peter, that God desires for no one to perish. Paul didn't write that. John didn't write that. Who knows? Maybe after his Cornelius experience that Peter was like, God, I am so humbled that I need to write this down. You see this? It's a double working of God. God has put very specific people in your lives that you are the hope of eternity. God has put people in your lives that are interested and like you for who you are. Because believe it or not, you reflect something really special. Do you remember three weeks ago when Pammy gave her story? Wasn't that awesome? That was awesome. That was awesome. And the reality of that story was, she's like, Rob, she said this, she goes, Rob, why do you want me to share this? I haven't arrived yet. Well, if you heard her, she pretty much was pretty close. I mean, she communicated her faith journey like I haven't heard in a long time. Because the fact of the matter is, are we ever going to fully arrive? Are we? That's the sanctification process that the moment we come to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit starts working in us and He starts working us and He, and he keeps changing us and making us into his, into his likeness and into His image to the point that we've accomplished everything that He's put before us, we go home and be with Him. Amen? That's how I want to go out. I want to go out like Elijah. I want to go out that when I'm done, I'm done. I've done everything in my power that my life is complete and it's time to go see my daddy. And here's my challenge 
And I love this morning that, all, that so many of our teenagers are out there today. I, do, I have prayed this, and I, and I shared this with the board, and I'll, and I'll wrap up with this. I share this with the board. God gave me a real, a real word for the next several years. He said, don't make disciples. He said, make generations of disciples. Teach people to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Because this is what happens. The moment we bring someone to church and they get connected, we're done. Done our job, Jesus. Peace out. But imagine if we were people that every time we saw someone who gained the hope of what we profess, it should get us more excited and more excited. And by the fourth time that you've done this, this becomes part of your DNA. And God said you need to equip them to make four generations of Christians. Because you know what it says in Deuteronomy? How far were they going to be a curse on people's children? Four generations. I'm going to curse the sins of those for four generations. And God said, let's take that curse and let's make it a blessing. Let's make, this, let's make this church a blessing to four deep. Let's make a church that's going to be here for 40 years. Let's make a church that people are coming to Christ, not because they have to, but because it's part of their DNA. It's part of the Spirit of God that lives within them. Amen? That's what God has called us to. Let's get out of our stupid moralism. Let's get out of our little bubbles. And let's start living the hope we profess, which is Christ crucified. And because of Him, no matter what I've done, I'm forgiven because He was forsaken. So let me leave you with four quick quick questions. How do you identify your person of peace? They're up here. First, who are those recurring individuals God puts on your heart to pray for? Second, who are those individuals that seem to always show up when you need something or need assistance? Who are those individuals that invite you into their life, relationships, and celebrations? And over the past year, who is that individual that is most receptive, not only to the gospel, but to you. This is what happened in the early church. And I, th- I really believe that we have had a taste of this in our church. I believe that Jesus is the only way. And I believe without a relationship with Jesus Christ, people are dying and going to hell. But I also believe this, that as Peter proclaimed, that God desires no one to perish. And we are the manifestation of Christ to them. We are the presence of Jesus when they are in need, when they're hurting, when they're laughing, when they're celebrating, when they just want to be blah and mundane, 
we have an opportunity to be that reflection of the power and presence of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? So we come to the Lord.